sometimes they win. Even the devil was an angel once. The world has its own rules, and these rules are not human. Some of us seek answers to the origin and existence of cryptids and the unexplained. Join us as we venture beyond the known and accepted boundaries. Welcome to our nightmare. I think you're going to like it. Hey folks, good evening and welcome to another episode of Phantoms of Monsters Radio where we explore the strange and the unexplained. I'm your host, Lon Stricker, and thanks for joining us. Now, if you enjoy our content, then please subscribe, like, and share our presentations. And, and please feel free to comment uh, below the presentation as well. We uh, we like to hear what you had to say, read what you like have to say. So um, the Super Chat is also active during the show, so please show your support for Fans of Monsters Radio by clicking the dollar icon under the chat. And you can also support the uh, the channel by using the Buy Me a Coffee link or banner in the description. Uh, your consideration is very much needed and appreciated. So tonight, people around the world seek the psychic and medical intuitive advice of Sue Walker. She is an internationally known psychic and medical intuitive. For over 20 years, she has assisted individuals, CEOs of businesses, physicians, actors, and law enforcement agencies. Her psychic readings and medical intuitive readings are sought out for their high levels of accuracy and detail. Frequently asked to investigate hauntings or paranormal activities, Sue's been featured in various publications, television documentaries, and radio appearances. Sue also conducts training seminars during the year because she desires to educate the public about various forms of psychic phenomena, improving psychic skills, and exploring remote viewing, scrying, and energy projection. Psychic development classes are also available. Sue travels the country presenting lectures and workshops on psychic reading, medical intuitive readings, and other paranormal spiritual issues. Sue Walker, medical intuitive, also has taught on telepathy. Her website can be found at psychicmedicalintuitive.com. We will also be joined by Kevin Estrella, who is a master guitarist and has a band called Pyramids of Mars on Mars. Uh, Kevin is also a radio show host. He's done a, a huge number of shows about the star nations that have visited and their connections to him. So, uh, Sue and Kevin, thank you so much for joining me this evening. Thank you so much for having us. I've been looking forward to this all week, Lon. Well, I and... appreciate it. So, hey, Great Kevin. Don't know if he's got an audio. Can you hear us? Can you, do you have your mic on? He can hear us. Well, we'll see what happens. Anyway, looking forward to this all week and, and, uh, wondered what you wanted to chat about. We've got all kinds of topics. Uh, originally Kevin was going to be visiting us here in New Mexico and, uh, Delta buggered up his flights. And so he's going to be visiting us. Uh, in a couple of weeks, we hope. And other than that, um, he is also a good friend of ours and uh, has is one of the experiencers uh, and regular contactees 
of our ET friends, the Ponte. And so, so uh, yeah, well, start off by telling us about the Ponte, how you started uh, oh, being contacted by them and what you've experienced over the years. Well, I've been an experiencer since I was a little girl. And I have seen more UFOs now than I can count. But I never got any response back from any of the uh, extraterrestrials that I'd ever seen or, or um, had been visiting me in my house. Um, I've, I've woken up on board ship um, and all kinds of other strange things. But it was when I went, uh, came to New Mexico to visit who, uh, my now spouse, then boyfriend, Otter, and was here about 10 days and got contacted by a voice coming from beneath the Sandia Mountain, which is on the eastern edge of Albuquerque. And that voice talked to me three days in a row. And I heard the same male voice, and I thought, who is, who is this and what's going on? And I finally asked Otter if he'd ever heard a voice coming from beneath the mountain. And ever since he moved into this home in 2009, he'd heard them. But we didn't really understand who we were talking with until a couple of months later when I finally got brave and asked the fellow what his real name was and where home was. Up until that point in time, because his voice had come from the Sandia Mountain, I gave him a nickname. I just called him Sandia. I forgot all about the fact that in Spanish, the word Sandia means watermelon. <laughs> and when I told Otter that I was going to nickname this voice that I was hearing from the mountain, Sandia, he was listening. And he piped up and he said, Hmm, Sandia, eh? Watermelon head, that'll work. And I thought, who the heck am I listening to and who am I talking to? We knew, or I knew, coming to New Mexico that this state was famous for the Roswell crash. I knew that hush-hush, secret government things happened here. But I did not know much about New Mexico and I thought this whole state was desert and flat and cactus. Not even. And so I learned a lot about the state. But when I came back down to visit Otter a second time, that's when I asked Sandia what his real name was and where home was. And he answered immediately. And he said, my real name is Dukum. And I said, what? And he said, Dukum. And I said, can you say that slower? He said, Tilkum. And I said, Tilkum. And then he spelled it for me, T-L-K-M. And he said that his language seldom uses vowels unless they are borrowed. And I said, so Tilkum, where's home? He said, home is the fifth planet orbiting the further of the two stars of the binary uh, system you call Zeta Reticuli. 
in the constellation of Reticulum, which is the Southern Hemisphere constellation, difficult for you to see from here. And I went, oh, okay. <laughs> and so that's how it started. Um, I spoke with Tilcom for a year and a half before he introduced us to anybody else. And he introduced us to two other individuals first, and then a third, uh, Radar, or Rahaz, Jeruti, a gal, and then he assigned us a telepathy teacher and asked us to please take dictation from her to write essentially a telepathy manual so that others could improve their telepathy because that was their primary means of communication. And so that's kind of how it started. The funny thing was, we'd been talking with Tilcom for a year and a half. And one day he piped up and he said, Sue, we understand that Earth has something called social media. Would it be permitted for us to have an account we wish to teach? And I went, um because I wasn't very techy and didn't know much about anything but Facebook at the time. And I said, well, I don't see why not. As far as I know, there's nothing wrong with it, nothing illegal about it. So we opened an account for Tilcom, and he immediately began teaching, uh, first on Facebook, and then that was not spreading out across the planet far enough, fast enough. And he asked us if we had another option, and we opened up a Twitter account. And that has been going since June of 2015. So seven years now, Tilcom and his crew have been teaching on Twitter. And when we opened up the Twitter account, um, for the first two years, my uh, Otto and I, who both hear Tilcom, um, we remained anonymous behind the scenes because we wanted Tilcom just to be uh, the, the forefront and the message. And during that time, Kevin Estrella happened onto the Twitter account and began interacting with Tilcom and Radar and Drudy. And then he began to get visits at his home. The telepathy manual that they dictated to us got published in December of 2017. And then our world just went crazy because people all across the planet downloaded the free telepathy manual that the Ponte had given us and began to invite the Ponte themselves. And that's how Kevin interacted with them and invited the Ponte to his home. And then uh, people from all over, oh gosh, within three months, we had contactees talking to us from at least a couple of dozen different countries around the mm -hmm. world. And volunteers translated the telepathy manual called the Telepathy 101 Primer into all of these different languages. And in fact, we just recently um, 
published the translation into sign language for the deaf so that they could either lip read or understand it via the sign language and also invite the Ponte. So that's kind of how it got started. Um, it's changed our lives um, in all kinds of ways because it, the Ponte actually were the ones that introduced us to the idea that they were very good friends with the Sasquatch. We didn't know. I was not a Sasquatch researcher. And we learned a great deal about the Sasquatch from the Ponte. And in fact, um, we took the very first prototype of the Telepathy 101 course that we teach to a Sasquatch conference and uh, presented it there just to see if it was understood and how it was going to gonna go. So that's kind of how it got started. Um, since then, um, we've written a book. Um, we had a lot of common questions after the telepathy manual was published, and uh, the same kinds of questions were coming from folks from all over the world. So we answered as many of those questions as we could with Tilcom and Tani, our telepathy teacher, and Otter and I. And the book that we published is really a, a manual now as to how to have your own CE5 event. So whether you're all by yourself or you're, if you're with a group of 150 people, here's what you need to know if, you need, if you'd like to invite the Ponte to come visit you. And in fact, the manual has been used successfully all over now. And mm -hmm. so we're very just delighted to hear when other people have interactions with the Ponte and they describe what's happening. So that's interesting. Yep, that's kind of how it got going. And uh, and of course, your artwork reflects a lot of these encounters and a lot of these individuals who you have uh, associated with as well. They actually, um, because when we first chatted with the Ponte, they were still under a restrictive treaty that did not allow photographs or video. But Tilcom came to me, or approached me and said, Sue, we can't give you photographs or video, but there's absolutely nothing that stops a contactee from drawing what it is that they experience. We would like you to draw. And so I hadn't drawn anybody in 40 years. And so I started drawing the Ponte, and after the we taught the telepathy manual at uh, the first Sasquatch conference. Then the Sasquatch actually approached us and requested that we draw them also. But their request was, would you please draw us as we see each other instead of as monsters? And I said, I would be happy to. So the artwork you see now is... A uh, far cry from what you see on your screen here. That was the first attempt I made at drawing Commander Tilkoman down in the lower right-hand corner there. 
Uh, Rahaz is the fellow with the hat. Uh, Tani, our telepathy teacher, and the gal that wrote the te telepathy 101 primer is above uh, to the right, and above and to the left is Jiruti. Well, if you see Tilkum, that's the first time I drew him. And I don't know if you can see this without the reflection or not, but there's another Tilkum right here. But the the artwork that I've been doing now is improved because they assigned me an art teacher. <laughs> and so <laughs> I have never taken an art class. <clears throat> Not since high school have I taken Brilliant. any kind of art. All of the improvement and all of the things that I do now is because I was assigned a telepathy teacher. And so... The artwork that you see around the studio here and things is because they have helped me improve it. And I'm really grateful. So how do they describe, do they describe on how they got here, why they came and mm -hmm. uh, how long they've been here? They've been here for thousands of years. Um, the facility beneath the Sandia Mountain is here it was retrofitted from an old tunnel system left over from the last age of man that runs north-south along the eastern edge of the Rockies. Um, that tunnel system is partially collapsed in some places, but when the Ponte were uh, looking for a facility location um, to put the information station, what the facility on the eastern edge of Albuquerque underneath the mountain is considered an information station for interstellar travelers visiting Earth. And you know how if you go from one state to the next, by the time you cross the border, there's an information station of, or, or tourism station, and you can get maps and get the latest details and, and things? Well... The information station underneath the Sandy is like that. And so interstellar folks um, come and get the latest as to what's the technology of the Earth humans, where are their facilities, um, are they spacefaring yet, are they nice, you know, is it dangerous, what's going on. And so they get the latest news from the information station. And so that's what Tilcom manages is that information station. Do they uh, work in cooperation with the military at all or the government? We have asked that and the directly, I don't believe so. Not mm -hmm. the information station staff. That does not mean that no Ponte anywhere don't work with them, but the information station staff does not. We are aware that they know that the Ponte are beneath the mountain. And the reason that we know that happened to come from an electrician who um, applied for a job with the government and had to have um, an ability to have a clearance. 
Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. Well, he was asked to go out into the desert and meet um, his ride into wherever he was going to go work. When he got there, it was a van with blackened windows, and the military people said, leave everything in your truck. You don't need anything with you. All your tools will be there. They drove him around for more than an hour. When he finally stopped at his destination, he got out of the van into the largest airstrip he had ever seen, except it was underground. In the far corner of the airstrip, he noticed what looked like saucers or craft and earth humans like us talking to some of the Ponte. He was not allowed to approach them, but he did see them at a distance. He's not the only one that we've heard from here in New Mexico who have noticed that there's some unusual things going on underneath the Sandia. So we we have interesting MUFON meetings here. MUFON is the Mutual UFO Network. Mm-hmm. Well, there's a lot of retirees from the military here in New Mexico, and some of those folks were in on the initial stuff that happened way back in the 40s and 50s here. And so we hear some very intriguing stories. But uh, um, I did get a question here from Jennifer who wants to know how they obtained the manual. Is it available online? It is. If The, the website of the Ponte is called officialfirstcontact.com. If you go to the menu, there's a documents section. And in the documents section, you're looking for the Telepathy 101 primer and choose whichever language you want to download it into. And it's a 285-page slide presentation with like one or two sentences on a page. You can go through it in an hour plus. But it's surprisingly... Simply written, but uh, they do recommend that you study it and practice with feedback for 100 days. That gets your brain used to working in that telepathic mode. And on the same officialfirstcontact.com website, you will also see telepathy groups that have formed around the world that you can sign up and practice your telepathy with other people so that you can learn to feel what it feels like to improve and get better and be accurate within yourself. So the telepathy um, groups are free. The Telepathy 101 Primer is free. And so you can get started tonight if you want. But you probably won't have much success contacting the Ponte 
unless you've spent a long time dealing with this area and genre, meditating and doing um, deeper work yourself, um, because it's easiest to telepathically communicate with them if you drop down into more of a meditative-like state, an alpha-theta state. Yeah, that was going to be my next question. Uh, do you need to, um, do you go into some type of meditative state uh, in order to make contact with them? Not anymore. Really? No, no need. Once you're used to it, your brain just goes there. It's kind of like when you first start to learn to ride a bike, you have to think about it and you have to practice your balance and you have to get your body used to it. By the time you've been doing it for several years, you don't even think about it. You get on the bike and go. Mm. And so very similar. Um, it's kind of like learning another language. When you first learn, you have to think about it and think about the words that you're using and how to say things right. Two years later, you don't need to do that because your brain is used to it. You've developed those neural pathways and it's much easier. So, oh, there's one of the Sasquatch kids. I'm one of the few artists that draws Sasquatch children doing what Sasquatch kids do normally. And so uh, there's a, a whole bunch of Sasquatch kids uh, images on my YouTube channel, which is just my name, Sue Walker. Just remember, I don't put an E on Sue and you'll find me. But the Sasquatch kids are fun to draw because they do kind of the same sorts of things as toddlers that our kids do, just outdoors. And so they're all kinds of fun. Yeah, Vincent asked, um, you know, he's heard that a lot of contactees uh, say that ETs are trying to raise our vibrational energy and consciousness. Uh, is this what the Ponte's goal is? I think the goal of the Ponte is to help people understand a couple of things. One, our extraterrestrial neighbors are already visiting Earth. They have been for thousands of years. Most indigenous peoples on every continent will tell you about the people that came from the sky that came down to talk to them and teach them and usually what did they teach usually they taught how do you get along and develop your culture and um, have food and medicine and agriculture and clean water and don't fight each other and kill each other off um, when I think about the consciousness um, raising concept of the Ponte, what they say is just about any telepathic society is by nature an ultra-polite society. Everybody's in everybody else's heads all the time, and so there are rules to follow, just like if you went to Japan. You would have rules to follow where you have lots of people in a very small island space. And so the politeness factor is there. The Ponte also uh, contacted us 
because they wanted to help us understand that our world is going through a reset. Our earth is changing, our sun is changing, and we are enter we have entered into an area of the galaxy that is for lack of a better way to phrase it turbulent, not kind to stars, not kind to solar systems. And they wanted to let us know how to deal with that and what to expect. So that's also part and parcel of why the contact now from the Ponte. Um, they're trying to help us understand how to be right-minded. That's their phrasing for better consciousness, better thinking, better behavior, um, how to treat your fellow um, sentient being. We've learned an awful lot about what it means to be human from the Ponte because they tell us that they are human too. We're Earth human. Mm -hmm. They're Pontel human. Uh, one of our artist friends on the chat wants to know what type of medium you use. Oh, your, um, pastels. Um, pastel I thought pencils. it was all pastel, yeah. Mm -hmm. I liked pastels because you could erase them. <laughs> yeah. And uh, I liked how they blended. And so I started working a lot with pastels on black paper. Mm -hmm. And now I've um, discovered some better quality pastel papers that give me a greater level of detail. Yeah. And so the things that I've been doing um, recently have been on some better quality paper, and, and that's helping a great deal. Why does this always happen when I... Oh. Yep. Kevin <laughs> was there. <laughs> yep. Yeah. Uh, yeah, I, I'm a I'm a pastel guy myself. I, uh, I I I'll do watercolors occasionally, but I do like using pastels. I, absolutely, uh, I, got, I probably got more pastels than I'll ever use. But I, you know, I guess most pastels pastel artists do they, they grab as much as they can and try to pick their favorite to use. But um, yeah, absolutely. So um, there is another question here. I think was uh, is, is interesting. Uh, Nancy asked, uh, in the past, ETs have lived in plain sight with humans. Do the Ponte plan on doing that again, and when? Well, they hope to very soon, to be honest. But they're understanding that um, not all the countries around the world are quite ready for that. Um some countries are more ready than others. Some countries have um, released their uh, documentation about sightings and UFOs and, and extraterrestrial contact, and other countries have not. We also find that the space-faring nations that we have here um, are in a bit of a competition to talk about um, UFOs and extraterrestrials and who's working with them. And so what we found an amusing situation a couple of weeks ago when the United States said something about, yes, we're following some 
uh, UFO stuff. And suddenly Russia piped up and said, oh, well, we are too. And then suddenly <laughs> China piped up and said, we're doing that, but we're also with extraterrestrials. And so we're finding that none of the spacefaring countries want to be behind the eight ball if one of them says, we're working with helpful ETs, and another says, well, we don't think they're helpful, we're, 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 we're in conflict with them. And so the fake invasion scenario is something that has been talked about a lot. Um, we have been concerned about that, and uh, we would love it if uh, we were quickly at the point where we could be in public with our ET friends. But I think that realistically, we're uh, more than a decade away from that at the very minimum. I think that there's a lot of educating to do and photographs and video to be presented to the population of Earth first before it's safe for our ET friends from whatever solar system, from whatever star, um, to walk around openly and um, feel like nobody's going to take a gun to them. Mm-hmm. Well, I think we have Kevin now. So, Kevin, can you tell us how you got involved, how you started connecting with the Ponte? I don't know if Kevin can hear Maybe us or not. He's been futzing with his connection for some reason. And I don't know what's going well, I think, on. He I looks think frozen. Vincent's working on it. So uh, as soon as all right, he, we'll let Vincent continue yeah, to work on it. As soon as Vincent it. gets him on, we'll we'll bring him in. Um, you know, uh, I have had some contact in the past, uh, nothing to the scale where you have, and you know, I've been hearing about Sandia and Monsanto and all that out by Albuquerque with mm-hmm. Kirkman and all that. And, and and that's why I asked if there was any involvement, because it is a huge facility. Um, there have been a lot said about Sandia. I don't know how much of it was true, but uh, it, it seems interesting to me that they, they found that, that place to be conducive to, to them making contact or st- setting up a listening station or a station for them. Um, is this, some, is this an, a place where they have been for a while? Mm-hmm. Or do they kind of move around? They've been at underneath the Sandia Mountain for centuries, thousands of years. And in fact, well before Europeans ever showed up uh, on North America, uh, on the North American continent, the local Pueblo people, the indigenous people mm-hmm. here, all of the tribes knew that there were Star Nation brothers under the mountain. Mm-hmm. Uh, the Zuni uh, were the ones that we spoke with. And in fact, before he passed, uh, Clifford Mahoudi, who you might know from Ancient Aliens, yeah. was a very dear friend of ours and would come over for supper. And it was Clifford who told us and showed us 
the images of the kachinas. Mm-hmm. You know kachinas as um, un- unusual-looking dolls that um, maybe you would buy at a tourist place here. Well, kachinas were originally, most of them, created to illustrate the Star Nation peoples, plural, that came to visit uh, as the Zuni and some of the other pueblos. Mm-hmm. Um, the What they told us is that when the extraterrestrials came from underneath the Sandia Mountain, that there were always two that came together from two different places, two different stars, and they would travel together to Zuni to visit once a year. Um, We also are very aware that there are other locations in Arizona and New Mexico that have underground facilities, not just the Sandia Mountain. There's a lot of underground folks here. There's a lot of underground things that we Earth humans have done also. We've extended the tunnel system that was here. And in fact, we think that the Sandia National Labs likely has built within the Manzano Mountains um, part of their facility in the tunnel system that extended down that far. Um, The Sandia National Labs is actually not in the Sandia Mountain. It's uh, there are thousands of businesses here in Albuquerque named Sandia this or Sandia that because of the mountain. Right. But um, uh, we do know that you can go from the Sandia Mountain to the Denver Airport. You can go from the Sandia Mountain to Dulce and over to Area 51 and Area 52. Mm-hmm. Um, you can go... Uh, up to Cheyenne Mountain. I mean, there's a, you can go a lot of places in the tunnel system because we, Earth humans, extended it. Mm-hmm. And so the maglev system will get you there very quickly. So you mm-hmm. don't have to go up on, on top of the... You don't have to go via the highway or the interstate to get from here to Nevada. Right. Uh, Moon Medicine asks, how many species have you been in contact with? Me, personally? Yeah. Oh, gosh. Um, I would have to count them. <laughs> I, I can tell you that I met a tall white in my bedroom in Iowa. I met Ponte in my bedroom in Iowa. I woke up on board ship and met a Reptaran. I have met the Sasquatch, who originally are from here, but also travel with some of the star nations off-world now. Um, We have seen uh, the Saurons, which are like reptilians, only more Mm -hmm. amphibian-like. I have not met the Nagas. Those are the snake people. Mm Mm-hmm. Um, we have talked with some of the other nations and 
some of them, the Ponte showed us what they looked like, but we did not meet them. Okay. So I would have to say less than a dozen, but the people that we did meet, we had extensive connections with. If that helps. Okay. Um, yeah, the, 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 and I did tell you about my encounters. The tall whites are the ones that I have had encounters with. Mm-hmm. And it's always a trio. It's the same trio that show up. Mm-hmm. And it's the same trio that have that took me. So uh, I don't know what that's all about. I, I, I don't know where it come from, what, what the whole deal is. Uh, but there was a period of time where they were showing up. And it's been a while. But uh, then again, I don't know if I'm, I may have been taken and not even know about it or have, don't re- recall it at all. And that's possible. Yeah. There, I think we got Kevin back finally. Kevin, can you hear us? I don't know if he can hear us yet or not. He's been trying to, I can tell. I, I don't know. Is his mic on? Yeah, I see this mic is on. I don't know if it's on his end. That's a good question. Yeah, I think I think um, Vince will let me know as soon as he gets him on there. Okay, that'd be great. Um, what guidance do your ETs give you about trusting other ETs? That's an interesting question. It's I, a fair question too, because they tell us that you need to keep your skepticism and discernment intact mm-hmm. anytime you do a CE five. Mm-hmm. Because you want to make sure that the whole situation feels right. If you ever meet someone and they don't feel right, head the other way real fast. There are a number of portals that are available to use here in North America. Not all of them are being used by necessarily good folks um we know of a couple of locations where for lack of a better word the riffraff congregates around the portal and so there are star nations that are not very right-minded here and that doesn't mean that you have to be afraid of all of them but what the Ponte tell us is please if if you reach out and something doesn't feel right back off just the same way you would if you met an earth human that doesn't feel right Mm -hmm. you would back off go the other side of the street leave um if you have the one thing that ce5s will do is bring up your fears especially if your event goes from more than seeing a dot of light in the sky and a CE1. If you get to the point where you have a craft land or you have Star Nation people show up, you need to immediately be able to assess what do they feel like, what do they sound like, what what's their body language saying you may not understand their language you may not understand telepathy but if their body language is telling you something is not right 
then it's time to exit and get out of there. Um, the vast majority of individuals that visit our world are positive, the vast, vast majority. But little known fact of on any given day, somewhere between 75 and 80 separate star nations are visiting Earth. 75% of those are here because we live on a water world and they come to visit our oceans. Mm. Interesting. Um, so let's talk about Bigfoot for a bit. Maybe we'll get Kevin back in a bit and we can go back to the uh, Ponte. That'd be great. Uh, the, the Bigfoot, how, how did you start communicating with them uh, around you? We learned that the Ponte and the Sasquatch nations are very good friends. And they get along because they have very similar senses of humor. When we were translating the Telepathy 101 primer, Tilcom came to us um, right after we'd gotten the vast majority of it written down and said, Sue, we would like you to go teach. And I said, what? And he said, we would like you to go here and go teach. And I said, where's here? And he spelled out Kiwani Lapsaritis's name. Kiwani is a Sasquatch researcher. Mm -hmm. And that was the day after they had advertised the first uh, Sasquatch conference that they were going to hold up in Chihuahua, Washington. So we took the telepathy primer up with us to go teach at the Sasquatch conference. And this happened to be a Sasquatch conference where people were coming from all over the world to discuss the more unusual aspects of Sasquatch research the more unusual things that were happening to these researchers out in the field and the things that if they went to another Sasquatch conference, the, the other researchers didn't want to hear about it. They didn't want to hear about mind speak. They didn't want to hear about being frozen and unable to move. They didn't want to hear about suddenly finding themselves back in their cars and halfway home before they even knew they'd left. Mm-hmm. They didn't want to. They they didn't want to talk about the more unusual things that they were seeing around the Sasquatch, like UFOs or others. Meaning, folks not from here. Mm-hmm. And so this conference mm-hmm. opened up the pathway for everybody to share, and that's the the first year that it was held. That's when we went to go teach the Telepathy 101 primer. The Sasquatch, the uh, understanding that we have gained since then has been wide and varied. Talking with all of these researchers from Australia and Russia and Germany and uh, the UK and Canada, we just opened up and, and chatted with everybody and learned an awful lot, awful fast. When we got home after the first conference, we'd been home less than a month, and I had a Sasquatch show up at the house, 
and ask if I would please start to draw them as they see each other instead of as monsters. And that's what got me started drawing the Sasquatch as well as the Ponte. Since then, I've also been drawing other star nations, but that's we don't we don't have uh, time to cover all that as well tonight. I don't think we might have to do that another time. You know, it's interesting. I just saw one of your drawings uh, from Valles Caldera. Valles uh, Caldera. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I, I have had a lot of activity reported Sasquatch activity reported to me from that area, mm-hmm. and in fact. Uh, even up the Chuska Mountains up in Arizona, where they, mm-hmm. and this is what the researchers tell me, they have literally seen Bigfoot corralling elk in these areas. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah. You know about that. Oh, sure. Oh, sure. The structures that they build serve several purposes. Mm-hmm. Um, if you examine the structures that the Sasquatch build out of uh, logs, you'll find that um, they, all the logs that they use, all the wood that they use, starts always with a trident tree that has th- uh, three branches at the top that split. And the first log leans up against that tree. All of the other parts of the structure connect. There is not a log that's placed that isn't connected to those uh, first logs and to that tree. When they build things, they mark their territory, but they also funnel the deer, the elk, the, uh, the moose, the bears, anything into a specific area so that it gets harder and harder for those animals to keep going because now they've got all these logs in their way and they have to hop over stuff or they've got big things fencing them in. So they funnel them in. And um, the logs also serve to keep the erosion from going straight down the mountain also. Mm -hmm. Um, We find that, little known fact, if you don't have very good cell phone reception up in the high country, um, above 9,000 feet, and you take your phone over to the structure that the Sasquatch have built, especially near this trident tree, you'll find that the bars on your phone go up. Try it. Mm. You get better reception. So there's something that we don't understand that's going on that's electronic. Um, we do know that the Sasquatch live side by side with the dogmen. We do know that uh, a myriad of E.T. folks also visit the Sasquatch, not just the Ponte. Mm-hmm. And we know because we have photos now of these other beings Um, We also have other woodmen, that's the term for the other sentient folks that live in the forest besides the Sasquatch. Whether or not they're the short, two-foot-tall guys or something else, 
But if they live in the forest alongside the Sasquatch, the Sasquatch call them woodmen, which basically translates as forest family. Mm. The woodmen um. well, used to trade with the Native Americans, especially the little guys, because they would nap arrowheads that were oh, half an inch big. Really? Because they had small hands. So it's... bird points. Um, Nancy Malcolm asks, have you ever drawn a gin? Uh, isn't Earth their home world? Where are they now? I mean, I, I know you've probably gotten involved with with elementals and, mm-hmm. and other small beings and, and, and even ethereal or non-ethereal beings like maybe gin. Mm-hmm. Have you have you ever drawn those or have any encounters? I have them? not. I uh, the elemental folks um I have not drawn the gin per se I have not drawn. Mm-hmm. Um I'm not sure that we have a single lock on who the djinn are because as I talk to various people I get various different responses as to who they believe the djinn are and what they look like so if 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 I understand the origin in the Middle East of the djinn um, they were um, beings that had more abilities than earth humans did that seemed magical. But where they're from and whether or not they were all from here, that I don't know. I am not well researched on the gin. Okay. So. Well, I'm going to try and bring Kevin in. So, Vincent, if you can unmute him and I can ask him. Uh, Kevin, can you hear me? Kevin, hmm. we're still struggling with Kevin to <laughs> with things. I'm really sorry. He's he's mad. I can tell. He's frustrated with <laughs> with all of this. So yeah, I think there's a, an issue with the yeah. I think he can hear, but I, I we can't hear him at all. Okay. Uh, anyway. All right. Uh. Continuing on with the, the Bigfoot, I find this interesting because, you know, I've been looking, I had an encounter with a Bigfoot in 1981. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, I, you know, it, it was fairly brief. It wasn't any type of communication whatsoever. Uh, it was there in front of me. I saw it for about 10 seconds and it turned around and walked away. Mm-hmm. But um, I do hear a lot of times about the mind speak thing mm-hmm. uh, where in they may use some type of infrasound. Yes, what they do. do they, how do they actually communicate? Is that what they use, an infrasound? Um, the Sasquatch have a wider range of hearing than you or I do. Okay. They can they can both speak at a deeper level than what we can hear, and they can hear at a higher and lower level than what we can hear at also. The Sasquatch actually are very good imitators of just about any sound that they can hear. So you know how a parrot can imitate just about any sound it can hear. 
if it's repeated. Sasquatch are like that. So they can imitate a snowmobile. They can imitate your truck backfiring. They can imitate a bird or a moose call. And uh, frequently will do um, that type of thing. But the infrasound is not exclusive to the Sasquatch here on Earth. Elephants can do infrasound. Uh, tigers can do infrasound. There are a number of very large animals or big game on Earth that can emit a sound that can stop you in your tracks and you can't move. You literally are frozen. And so that's what infrasound can do. Um, they also can uh, essentially tell you, go over there, sit down and be quiet, and you will. You don't have a lot of control. So like other telepathic nations, most all telepathic nations have the ability to mind control to some degree. Mm -hmm. So can they also tell you to go over there and sit down and be quiet? Yes, they can. Um, the Sasquatch will not always pick you up and touch you uh, versus tell you what to do. But we are very aware of uh, very large handprints on some people uh, after they've had encounters with the Sasquatch. I know of a gal that was a very dear friend of mine who went on a vision quest. And she was laying on a hillside above the Missouri River and all by herself doing her traditional vision quest and she didn't know she was on an animal path. Mm -hmm. She heard a growl and a snarl from a mountain lion and froze and a moment later something bent down, picked her up by two arms and set her on her feet. The next morning she had handprints the size of Sasquatch hands mm. bruising both arms. So not all of the things that they do are negative. They actually love children and not to eat. That's not it. They just like children. They're very protective. And they also appreciate the folks that attempt to communicate with them in a right-minded way. And so if you want to go visit the Sasquatch and you go drive up to the forest and you get out of your car before you even step foot into the forest. Introduce yourself, tell them who you are and why you're there. Because they want to know your intent. You're about ready to walk into their living room. Mm -hmm. And they want to know why. Because they have kids too that they have to keep safe. So, mm -hmm. so we're going to try again. Kevin, can you hear us? Can you talk to us? No, we can't hear him. No, we got something I going on. I don't know on. what's going on. I don't know either, and that's rare. Because yeah. we had him before the show. Yeah, we did. Yep. So, what else would you like to know about Sasquatch or Ponty or anything else? Well, yeah, I mean, just like a... a uh, is there a specific encounter that you had with the Ponty that 
was probably more extraordinary than, than the others. Wow, good question. When I was in Iowa and I saw a UFO on the south edge of town, I came home and thought, oh, that's cool, and I reported it to MUFON, and it was investigated and written up, and I thought that was the end of it. And it was 10 days after that that I saw a tall white enter into my bedroom, and he was nearly the size, nearly as tall as the ceiling of the room. And 10 days after he arrived and left, um, the Ponte showed up at the foot of my bed. And I don't know if they put a GPS tracker in me or not. I suspect so. And the reason that I suspect so is that when they showed up in my bedroom, I woke up to bone pain in one calf. And when I woke up, I saw them at the foot of my bed, four of them, and saw one of them withdrawing something from my leg that looked vaguely like a syringe. And then I went back to sleep again, was put back up. After that, whenever I was going to see a UFO that night, and I saw them frequently for about three years, more like five years, but when I was about to see them that night, the place where my bone pain had been would itch in the back of my calf. And I developed a rash about yay big. And so I would always know if it was going to be a UFO kind of night. Mm-hmm. Well, after Tilcom introduced himself when I got to New Mexico in... 2013, one of the first things he did after we'd been talking for a while was introduce me to a science and study that I knew nothing about, and I don't know if it had been looked at on this world any time since the last age of man. And what I'm talking about is he taught me about a system, uh, an organized system of images in the landscape that detail the history of the planet in murals hidden in the landscape. And he called the system archaeoplanetography and taught me how to read these layers and layers of images so that you could understand who had what history where and how long ago and not only that facilities were marked uh, resources were marked like minerals um, uh, gems um, things that you would want to go to a world to explore and taught me about how to identify where natural portal systems um, that had been around on Earth for a long time were Mm -hmm. located and how they were marked in the landscape also. And so I began to study and research, and I spent hours and hours uh, 
um, talking with Tiokum and understanding um, how the system was organized and began to outline some of the things that I'd seen and threw up a couple of lessons on my uh, YouTube channel on archaeoplanetography. But when Tilcom first showed it to me, my jaw dropped. And I went, how is it that we have missed this? How, how did map makers not see this? And so that was probably the first drop my jaw sort of thing that I learned from the Ponte was that this organized history and resources and murals in the landscape um, were essentially hidden in plain sight. And to learn from him how to read it and understand it took a long time, took hours, but hours and hours and hours. I felt like I got a PhD by the time I was done. <laughs> but now it's real easy to get lost in the landscape. And when somebody um, from somewhere else on the planet says, are there any Ponte facilities where I live? I say, hang on, let me go check the archaeoplanetography. It'll be there if there is. And if there is, I outline it, mark it, and send it to them. Mm. So... It's not difficult to learn the system, but it's difficult to understand how old some of the images are versus how new they are. In general, we know that the images that you see from the ground are the newest ones, and the very largest images that are continent-sized and ocean-sized are some of the oldest ones. Mm-hmm. Nancy Malcolm asked, and this is a this is an interesting question. What human traits do the Ponte like the most? Our humor. Really? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. They they think that we have a marvelous sense of humor and we agree that they do too. And that's the one thing I was surprised at was how much overlap we have with them poking fun at each other as well as as you know other star nations as well as us and us poking fun at them mm. um so that was the first thing um they told us initially that they are cultural explorers and they used the phrase also that they are gardeners of intellect and I thought that was a very interesting, intriguing phrase. Yeah, it is interesting. And so as cultural explorers, they collect the things about our culture, whether it's music, dance, percussion, art, literature, etc., etc. The things that we do when we're not at work that we go home and enjoy. Mm -hmm. The things that if we had our druthers, we would spend our time doing X, Y, Z just because it was fun. Those are the things that they want to understand about us. And so exchanging cultural information is fascinating and fun. And 
intriguing to talk back and forth and say, well, when I cook, I do this, and we eat food that's like this. What do you eat, and how do you make it? And so we just chat back and forth, trying to understand their culture as they try to understand ours. Mm-hmm. And of course, it's different on every continent because the cultural exchange in Asia would be different than the cultural exchange in North America, Absolutely. would be different than the cultural exchange in Africa. Because as Earth humans, we do different things depending on where we grew up and what we grew up with. Let me ask you something that has been I've been thinking about for a long time and this is this is because of a uh, experience I have been working with for quite a while. Uh, do the Ponte have do they believe in a higher deity? Do they believe in like what we say we believe in God? Do mm-hmm. they believe in a higher being? They believe in what they call the all. Um, you could say the collective consciousness of souls from everywhere and every when, not just one world either. Okay. That collection of non-unseen world folks, if you want to put it that way, um, all together makes up the all. And so if you're saying, is it in their culture labeled as a single individual? No, it's everything and everybody from everywhere and everyone, all collectively together, um, putting out um, what their souls are saying, I guess, if you want to say it that way. When we ask about higher beings and like somebody that would create or design a world, well, there are star nations like that. They're more advanced than the Ponte are. But they also have a belief in something higher than themselves. And so they are not God. Um, God is, in the Ponte's idea, the collection of all the love that you would see. They do believe that love is the most powerful force in the world, in, in the universe, in the galaxy, however you want to phrase it. They do understand that that as a moving force is shared amongst many, many, many nations and understood when other things are not. And so unconditional love is part and parcel of their belief system, if I can say it that way. Yeah, interesting. Um, <clears throat> do you know of any of the well-known or infamous encounters that the Ponte have been involved with. Yeah. Do you know the name Travis Walton? Sure. I know the Ponte side of the story. Well, I'd love to hear it. Well, 
there was a craft that was having all kinds of mechanical difficulties and problems. And they were trying like heck to figure out what was wrong and why it wasn't working right when Travis Walton's truck with all of his firefighting buddies came around the corner and stopped. Travis was the only one that got out. Mm -hmm. The system on the ship that was malfunctioning partially was the the defense um, system. And the ship itself saw his approach and automatically went to defend the ship, even though that was not the Ponte's desire. They didn't want anything to happen to anybody on the ground. Mm-hmm. Travis got knocked back and his uh, spinal column right up here was severed. Hit his head and broke his neck. The Pontee on the ship saw it and went, oh, oh my God, what did we just do? In the meantime, the truck takes off like a bat out of hell. And all the firefighting buddies leave Travis lying there. The Pontee scoop him up and immediately hightail it back to the nearest high-tech medical facility and throw him into a state of consciousness where he's can be repaired. It's, it's uh, not just in this dimension, if I can phrase it that way. Okay. They put him into a multidimensional state so that they could repair the spinal column and reconnect all the nerves. He was in that state for a week. And when he woke up, they didn't know that he was going to come to on board uh, in the medical facility when he did. Because some of the little... Some of the Ponte came around the corner, saw him, freaked, and ran out of the room because he got all scared and defensive. Mm-hmm. All right. They sent in one of the healers, and you know what a screen memory is where they mm-hmm. can project an image? Mm-hmm. Well, they projected an image of somebody who looked like you and me. And that individual calmed Travis down and they realized that he was standing up walking and talking and by God he probably was good enough they could get him back all right and return him because it wasn't their intent to keep him he was just there long enough to get repaired and then be dropped back off Mm -hmm. they dropped him back off within well, less than 10 miles from where he was taken, but ex- I don't know the topography and exactly how close he was. And they dropped him back off without any clothing on because that was the state he woke up in and they um, put him back down. And of course, when he dropped back off, he woke up on, I think, the middle of the road and was scared to death and Mm -hmm. naked and afraid kind of thing. Mm -hmm. 
um, he went to go find a way to contact his best friend, I think, and then they came to find him. When the Pontiff fixed him, part of the part and parcel of that process was to improve his immune system so that all of the repair that they did of of the cervical vertebrae and the nerves would take wouldn't be rejected mm-hmm. to my understanding that gave him permanent immunity i don't think he's been sick a day since then i you know i have heard that uh, i i you know and um He's aged very well, too. Mm-hmm. So maybe there is something to that. Did you ever mention this to Travis? I've never met him. Oh, you not? Oh, you haven't? No. And in fact, Clifford Mahoudi, our friend, was a good friend of his. Mm-hmm. And um, knows other people that were friends of Travis's. And I said to Clifford, how willing would he be to hear this side of the story? And he said... I'm not sure if he's ready for that yet because he went through an awful lot of grief from the public, from friends, from family, and from the community for years. And the trauma that he went through as a result of all of this, he didn't ask to be hit by a ship that was malfunctioning in its defense system. He didn't ask for an injury to his uh, cervical vertebrae. He didn't ask to get dropped off naked in the middle of a highway. And all of those things, every single one of them, you would remember for the rest of your life. Oh, absolutely. And when I said, Clifford, if you ever think he's ready, you let him know that we'd be happy to talk to him and tell him the Ponte's side of the story. And... uh so we just so left it at that, that and never approached him because we didn't know him as well as Clifford did. Yeah, and of course Clifford is no longer with us, so I don't right. even know if he's contacted us or not, contacted right. Travis or not. Right. Uh, are they willing, can they, or are they willing to teach us medical knowledge? I've asked that very question. And the answer that I get back is real simple. If I hand you a medical device that they can heal somebody with, mm-hmm. and that medical device goes to our military, what's the first thing the military is going well, to do with it? There, there you go. Okay. Absolutely. I can understand. So, that. are they willing? Um, If they cause an injury, they will go above and beyond to heal whatever it is that they've caused, Mm -hmm. like they did with Travis. Mm -hmm. However, they cannot voluntarily heal the nearly 7.7 billion of us that are here on the planet. And so a lot of people say, well, if I ask them to come over, will they heal my so-and-so, you know, family member? No, that's not why they're here. They cannot play favorites, and they are not here to do that. 
They just can't. Their their reason for being here on our world is different than here to heal us from, you know, whatever XYZ medical condition any of us have. Are they willing to help teach us as things progress and we're ready for that information? Yes. They would love nothing more than a university-level exchange of information back and forth to be set up at some point in time. But we aren't even anywhere close to that yet. You're talking decades away after it's public that they're here Mm -hmm. and that people don't have to be scared of them. A lot of people will say, well, all the grays are bad. Do you have any idea how many Zeta body type nations look alike, are here, and people lump them all together and say it's just one? No, 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 no. If they have a short stature, larger eyes with nictitating dark lenses. By the way, those lenses retract and their eyes are just as pretty as yours or eyes are with all kinds of colors, um, those that Zeta body type is common. But that doesn't mean that all of these people are from the same world or even the same solar system or even the same area of the galaxy. We're talking about nations who've been exploring for, for long, thousands, if not millions of years. They've gone through their ups and downs and and have dealt with galactic conflict as well as people getting along in a group that we loosely call the Federation. Do I think there's only one Federation in this galaxy? Oh, heck no. There's a lot of alliances here. But please, whenever we hear any other ET researcher talking about the greys as if they are one nation, we know that they don't have the full story. Right, right. Just like there's not just one reptilian nation. Mm -hmm. If people say, well, it's just the Dracos. No, no, just not even. There are hundreds of thousands of worlds that have sentient, intelligent life and the reptilian physiology body type is a common one. And no, they're not all bad. We do differentiate between reptilian and reptarian. If the reptilians originated on Earth and were helped after their cataclysm happened and taken off world, those we call reptarians because those folks came from here. Mm -hmm. If they originated in a different star system on a different world, can we say reptilian body type? Yes, we can. But some of those are mammalian reptilian, if you can think of that. Mm -hmm. That's interesting. Yes. You know, I've had a theory for a while now that I believe humans are 
a universal species. And that this is a very be, common body type in this area of the galaxy. Yeah, yeah, I very think so. common. Uh, and not only because most forms of other terrestrial beings are humanoid for the most part from what we see are humanoid. But I, I think there's a lot of interchange that has gone on over time. Uh, a lot of intervention. Mm-hmm. And uh, I think what we do see as uh, what people could call aliens may actually be evolved humans or evolved human species <clears throat> have possibly come back through to either see how things were or to help uh, maybe to improve things for their future, possibly. Well, uh, a lot of them are cultural explorers. A lot of them um, also um, are interested in their own history or mm-hmm. the overlap in genetics that we have with them. Mm-hmm. Um, there are many nations that visit and walk on our land here, not the aquatic nations, but the land-based nations. There are some extraterrestrial visitors that look so much like you and I that unless you studied them for a while, listened to them for a while, just glancing at them, you couldn't tell. You could not tell. Mm-hmm. The Umo in that were um, in the... Mountains between Spain and France in Europe look very much like our uh, physiology, except a little bit bigger. Mm-hmm. Um, the women are closer to six foot tall. The guys are closer to six foot five on average. They're stockier. They're more statuesque. And so if you see a very, very tall gal... Um, would you be able to distinguish her from an Umo? Not necessarily. Um, we do have reports that some of the Earth human looking body type folks are also working um, here in New Mexico with some of the groups here in the story that we heard was from a delivery person. He uh, had a package that had to go into the Sandia National Labs, and he had the clearance to get it up to wherever it needed to go, but it was big, it was on a dolly, and, and it was unwieldy, and he saw a fellow through the doorway, and he said, Would you prop the door open for me, please? And the man looked at him very strangely. He said, could you prop the door open? And he indicated, well, the man opened the door, but he didn't know what prop it open meant. Oh, okay. And his English was not, didn't have an accent, Mm -hmm. but was, it was clear that he had to think about what he was hearing to understand who was communicating with him. Mm -hmm. Um, we have we have another story from a delivery person who had an entire truck load of fresh produce and 
The address he was to deliver it to was on the east side of the Sandia. And he followed the directions and he got to a place that was a single house and a single pole barn, enclosed, metal aluminum. And the fellow came out of the house and motioned him to back his rig into the barn, which was completely empty. And then he said, come on in the house with me. We'll fill out the paperwork. Ten minutes later, he was back out in his rig, and it was empty. (laughs) There were no signs of produce boxes anywhere, no place where they had gone, no place, no sign of who might have unloaded this entire rig. And he tried to ask the guy from the, the house, what happened? And where where'd the food go? And the man just said, have a nice day, and went straight back into the farmhouse. <laughs> well, I've got to ask you now, because it came up. What do okay. We, what do the Ponte eat? Um, they are pescatarian. They eat some fish, but mostly it's fruits and vegetables. They do not uh, eat avians. They do not eat four-footeds. Um, they also are selective about the ocean food. They would not eat, say, cetaceans. So whales, porpoises, dolphins. Mm-mm. So anything uh, along those lines. But they grew up on a world that was a water world similar to ours. And so fish was culturally part of their diet Mm. and mostly their preference would be for things if I had to name things that would be common or close to what they would eat at home it would be seaweed and cabbage those Mm. would be two of the closest consumable foods but they will sample most of what we eat they really will. They will try it. If it's super spicy, no. If it's alcoholic, no. Um, if it's meat, no. But if, for instance, you were going to make shrimp and grits for them, they'd love it. Interesting. Well, Sue, it's, it's a shame we couldn't get Kevin to connect. Yeah, I'm sorry. He had wonderful stories to tell you, too. <laughs> and, but I'll try you, another time. If, if there is a time where we can get him on with you or have you come on again, you're, you're welcome anytime. Uh, this was quite interesting. And uh, absolutely, I, I, I thank you again for coming on. And uh, I, I'm going to actually read the book again because now I have a little more basis. And I'm going to go and get the... Um, I'm going to go get the uh, the primer basically on the uh, uh, on the actual uh, communication with these beings. I, I, it sounds very interesting to me. The uh, officialfirstcontact.com has a number of documents, and in fact, there's one called "Why We Are Here," where they will explain to you exactly why they're here on our world. And so you may find a number of things interesting on their website. Um, If you want to hear the funny stories, Kevin and a fellow from Brisbane, Australia, who goes by the name of Wookie, 
have a YouTube channel called Close Encounters of the Pontel Kind, and there are six episodes of the hilarious stories of Ponte Contact. And so if you want to understand the lighter side of it, the real stories, Close Encounters of the Pontel Kind, hosted by Kevin and Wookie. And you're, how can people get in contact with you? Um, I have uh, my own um, psychic business still. So suewalker.com or psychicmedicalintuitive.com. Um, I have a YouTube channel that's just Sue Walker. And remember, Sue does not have an E on it. And you'll find me. Um, you can get a hold of me on a Facebook page, Friends of the Sandia Mountain Ponte. Um, you can also hop onto Twitter, uh, Sandia the ET, or at Sandia Wisdom on Twitter. And uh, whenever I say something as their translator, I will put my name behind it. Whoever is on the desk will put their name behind whatever it is that's the answer to the public's question there. So if you want to ask the Ponte questions, Twitter is the best place to do that. Excellent. Excellent. Well, Sue, again, thanks for coming on. And very you have welcome. a great weekend. And uh, we will be talking, I'm quite sure, very soon. That'd be great. All right. Thank you again, Lon. And have a good weekend yourself. And, and be careful. About 50% <laughs> you, of them. You warned me. You, you, if you've invited them, fair warning. Okay. So, all righty. Thank you. Thank you so much. Bye-bye yeah. now. Bye-bye. Now, if you have an unexplained encounter or sighting, feel free to contact me through the Fams and Monsters blog site. I want to again thank uh, Sue Walker for joining me this evening. And thanks to each and all of you for watching and chatting. If you made a super chat donation, it's very much appreciated. Your support is what makes this all possible. Please like, subscribe, share, and please comment. We always appreciate your comments. And uh, also uh, sign up, become a member of the um, of the channel. Uh, again, if you have a sighting or encounter report and you'd like to be considered for the personal report show or post on the Fams and Monsters blog site, just feel free to forward to my email at lonstrickler at famsandmonsters.com. So next Friday... Jason Hewlett will join me. Uh, Jason is a writer, director, co-creator of a reality web series, We Want to Believe. He also co-hosts Hunting the Haunted, narrators, narrates the U UFO show, and is the manager of the Paranormal Network YouTube channel and all its shows. So make sure to tune in for this interesting guest. Uh, it, it ought to be quite an interesting interview. So until next week, Stay healthy and have a safe and enjoyable weekend. Good night.